Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Sign up at my bookie. Use our promo code Gators to get your first ever deposit match dollar for dollar. Bet anything, anywhere, anytime with my bookie. Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus. Starting at $3 a month, get access to unique episodes, plus a blog, chat room, giveaways, shoutouts, and more. Gators Breakdown Plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you. Head to gatorsbreakdown.supportingcast.fm to join Gators Breakdown Plus today. Gators Breakdown, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Coming at you today after Florida defeats FAU 35-14. to We'll get into it, all into it here on Gators Breakdown like we do Every Sunday after a game, if you guys are new to Gators Breakdown, this is how we do it. You know, pretty much just a basic review at, at the game. You know, we got plenty of time throughout the week to kind of go through more of the storylines uh, of the week. Uh, but you know, this is more of a look at the game itself. Uh, what Florida did, what Florida didn't do, what they could have done better, what they did really well, and all that. So, uh, of course, storylines kind of will get intermingled here. But the big storylines, of course, I know we'll all talk about the quarterback situation. I'll get into it a little bit here, but just know we have a little bit more time to for all that talk throughout the week. So this is more of a look at the game itself between Florida and Florida Atlantic that was played on Saturday night. Man, there we go. Uh, it was a fun time in Gainesville. Uh, it, it was – it felt really good to see what it ended up being. Uh, there were uh, Gainesville was popping, it was hopping, it was a lot of fun. The, the tailgate was huge. Uh, a lot of people having fun. The stadium ended up filling up pretty nicely as well. After you know, kind of, it, uh, I, kn- I know some people who had tickets for sale and they were worried about getting rid of them, and they eventually sold throughout the week. But the stadium, uh, especially the students, showed up. The the alumni side, of course, showed up. Uh, it was nice to have football the way we know football. The bands on the field, the teams running out of the tunnel through the band, the stadium's full. It was uh, it was uh, a lot of fun. Finally, you know, great to be back in that experience. Of course, uh, when you look at that, uh, the game of course didn't go as as planned as we kind of thought it would uh, with Florida, Florida, Atlantic. I thought it would be more of a, more of a blowout there. I had a, like a predicted score of 41, 13 or something like that. And 
look, there was the opportunity there to make the score worse. The, 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 the opportunity there for, you know, Florida to get off to an even larger jump than they did, jumped out 14 nothing. Very good chance the game could have been 28 to nothing uh, after the first four offensive drives of the game. You know, if not for the uh, Emory interception in the end zone, that ball gets picked off there. Then the miscommunication on the very next drive on fourth and goal, and the quarterback sneak yards away uh, from, from the goal line. And a lot of uh, a lot of uh, playing a lot of players on defense and inconsistency on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, play, play. I'd say play good, uh, not as dominant in places where I thought they'd be just and a lot of it goes to inconsistency there. Um, the second half, I understand, I understand the backups were in late, still disappointing with how they ended the game, especially with the penalties. So I'll get into that more uh, as well. Conservative approach, I think, but that should not have mattered. Uh, and like I said, you know, there was still the chance of getting up 28 to nothing, uh, even with the conservative approach there. But when you kind of go conservative there and then you don't hit, uh, the, the easy plays you should be hitting, then you get a, kind of the outcome that we were getting uh, with Florida FAU there. Uh, so we'll uh, look at a few factors uh, that held Florida back. And I mean, don't get me wrong, it wasn't all bad. There were some good things that happened uh, as well, but we have to start at the quarterback position. We'll start on offense and you know, going dating back to the reports of Emory Jones and dating back to the spring and dating back to the fall and struggling struggling with the accuracy, struggling with the touch, struggling with reads, locking on to wide receivers. Uh, you know, even, even with what was supposed to be some of the easier throws were off target, uh, whether they were completed or not. Uh, the throws to Whittemore over the middle were behind or low. Uh, the swings and screens were low, not allowing wide receivers to get a good start on a catch and run. Uh, passing game just seemed uh, you know, very, very limited uh, with uh, Emory out there. Most throws were over the middle, uh, not, not much to the outside or down the field. Uh, a lot of screens, a lot of short routes. Uh, a big part of this is why, you know, why, why are these issues here in year four? Uh, you know, maybe he had a bad night on his first start. That could certainly be the case. But I keep going back, and hopefully that's the extent of it. It, it is possible he just had a bad night on his first night. But – the it's the continuation from what we heard from practice reports and going dating back to the spring of the issues that affected Emory Jones. And those are exactly the same issues we saw in the game. Got off to a nice start. Uh, has Florida rolling up 14 nothing. Uh, Gators driving down the field. He has to come in on the third drive of the game when Anthony Richardson takes over uh, and, uh, you know, throws the, uh, th- throws the interception. Uh, but so you could kind of maybe say some momentum was kind of taken away from, from, from Emory coming out. I mean, they knew that was going to be the game plan coming in. It still doesn't mean it could affect, couldn't, could not have affected him. But you know, still some, uh, you know, even with the good first couple of drives, still some misreads, and even he admitted it uh, as well. We'll get into some of what he had to say there. But the offense, fourteen points right off the board. The running game was working well uh, with Emory uh, as well. Was you know, playing well enough to get the Gators up fourteen nothing. Then just right after that, just uh, it, uh, it it did the. the Production fell down uh, just a bit uh, there. So, like I said, maybe he just had a first bad night on his first start. Hopefully that's the extent of, extent of it. But the continuation from the, the 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 notes and the performance we heard back in the spring, that's what uh, really gets me because those, those are the exact issues we saw in Emory Jones' first start here at quarterback. Inaccuracy, lack of touch, wrong reads. Exactly what we heard coming in, uh, and that's exactly what we saw. I mean, those two interceptions, pretty bad. The first one in the end zone, bad decision, bad throw. Uh, the second one, late on the throw, allowed the DB the, to, to recover, undercut the wide receiver. Had it been thrown earlier, 
definitely completion. Uh, if it had been thrown more over the shoulder toward the sideline, probably a completion as well. Uh, mainly, mainly just waited too long, uh, and uh, the, the weight there doomed that throw. Uh, I think that bled over uh, took a lot of the zone read decisions as well. I think I thought he made some pretty good decisions early on as well when to keep the ball when to hand the ball. Uh, a few I think he should later on should have kept uh, just a little behind on the speed of the decision uh, there. Just you know, I don't know. I don't think I don't want to say the moment overwhelmed him in a way that could. If you still believe Emory Jones can get the job done, then I think you can look at it. Maybe the moment just did overwhelm him, and the quarterback that we expected to get is what we'll get from here on out. Maybe it was just the first start. Now, uh, that can rub some people the wrong way, and I completely understand. You have Alabama out there with a guy who was a true freshman last year, just sprinkled in, go to that area, makes his first start versus Miami, and it looks like he just fits right in uh, and keep that ball rolling. A lot of young guys out there, uh, young quarterbacks out there who haven't been in the program three four years being groomed for a spot and looking better than that. So, you know, I get both sides of it. I'm, I'm hoping it was just a bad night, just an off night uh, there, but you know, it's the worry is what we heard coming in. And this is exactly what we got. You know, when looking at the, the play of Emory Jones. So uh, he was asked after the game on if he felt good on how the game started for him in the first quarter and quote, he says, honestly, not really. I still feel like I made a lot of mistakes early in the game that you probably couldn't see for myself, just knowing that I missed too many throws that I never do. It's, it's just getting more comfortable being out there, actually being a starter. I just have to lock in and get better every week. So maybe he felt the pressure. Maybe he felt the pressure of being the University of Florida quarterback uh, in, in his first game. Even he admits he you know, missed too many throws that I never do uh, there. So hopefully, hopefully that's the case. Like I said, hopefully what we saw, versus FAU is not the Emory Jones that uh, many of us thought we were uh, going to see out there. And uh, he was also asked about his two interceptions and being uh, physical or mental mistakes because it's a mixture of both. It's a mixture of just seeing the defense, making decisions right there, and second-guessing yourself or not really being sure what's going to happen in that play. I was kind of losing my rhythm a little bit, but it happens to everybody. I just have to get more comfortable with being in the game and in every play just keep getting better. So I, think, I do think it kind of snowballed a bit. I think after that first pick, uh, I think uh, mental, mentally right there, I just think it maybe snowballed just a bit. And he's right. I mean, he's got to be able to read the defensive better and make sure of what the defense is doing uh, and the decisions you have to make with what the uh, defense is showing you. Um, so, yeah, not sure of what the defense is going to do, but that's – why you you bring your experience to the table as well in those situations. So we'll see where it goes from here. I know we got to go to the next point and the excitement that Anthony Richardson brought in. That wasn't perfect there by any means either. Uh, there was it did it flow better? Absolutely. Was there a lot more excitement? Absolutely at that point. But I mean, the excitement we saw from Richardson was pretty much what how we were feeling those first couple of drives too uh, with Emory out there. But AR comes in, offense look just looks smoother. Look, guys, I shared that on the podcast, too, uh, we, we were hearing uh, that Emory was doing okay uh, in, in these fall scrimmages, but the offense looked smoother. The offense just looked better uh, we, we, with AR. Now, we didn't know the exact situations these quarterbacks were put in, but it looks like that played out in the first game, uh, and it just looked smoother as the night progressed there with, with, with Anthony Richardson coming in. Like I said, it came in that third drive of the game, moved the offense down the field to his helmet come off. He has to come off the field. Uh, and then um, 
you could tell later that the when AR came in, now he's he's got a hit on a few of these, but downfield passing opened up. And like I said, it was very limited for Emory. I don't think it was many different play calls. I just don't think he was taking the chances AR was taking. You know, they said the, the offense doesn't change with these two guys. So Anthony comes in and the ball's being pressed down the field a, a bit more. Now, you do wonder, you know, he led those wide receivers too much. It makes you wonder if those are completed with some of the better receivers out there uh, instead of some of the backups Anthony Richardson was playing with. But, you know, you would like to see him make those deep throws, uh, of course. But the big quarterback runs, a 73-yard touchdown run, showed that speed, showed a way to get to the edge. Great block, block, great block by Kamori Gamble to spring that uh, run for him. Uh, some of the zone read decisions he made to get some big runs uh, as well. You could just see I mean, the stiff arm, the jump, <laughs> the, the hurdle over uh, a player. There was definitely a certain sense of excitement when Anthony Richardson went out there and played. And look, you know, kudos to both of these guys, too, after the game. Uh, and, and you see it on social media, on Twitter. They're congratulating each other. They are, they're joking around with each other there. And I think that's good for Emory as well, uh, you know, to show their support still uh and there's a lot of belief that he can still be the quarterback uh, that many want him to be out there so of course we know this is a situation worth monitoring we'll have plenty of time to get into it this week here on gators breakdown dan mullen said twice after the game interviewed by sec network right, right on the field right after the game saying emory's the starter we asked him in the media session after the game as well he reiterated emory is the starter so Right now, of course, I expect him to say that after a game. Will things change in the media session this week or next Saturday when Florida plays USF? I don't expect it to. I do think Emory gets the job, but I do think the lease could be a little shorter. Um, and look, I mean, Richardson was getting in on the third drive of this game anyway. Uh, so he's going to be part of the offense. Now, what this may signify, and I'll move on after this, so we, you know, we'll talk more about this this week. It could signify that we just see more Richardson while Emory is also the starter as well. That, that could be the first step if uh, no change is made for the starting uh, position there. So there's the quarterback talk. There's kind of what happened there. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, I, I know we'll, we'll, we'll have plenty to discuss there. We will look at this game in particular, though. Plenty of time to talk about quarterback talk all week long, especially when we get more uh, talking with Mullen and, and all that course throughout the week. So you guys know me. Got a, a, a good bit of what I wanted to see in that run game. Malik Davis with the explosive runs. I wanted to see so much. Common theme here that's going to be for me. I want to see the improvement in the run game, and I, that's where it starts for me. I want to see the the improvement in the the um, the explosive plays for the skater offense, especially in the especially in the, in the overmatched opponents. Now we know the focus of the offense is changing. We know the focus of the offense is going to be the run game. So there we go. We get it in an overmatch situation. You're changing, but this is still a, a, still a game that you have to show that ability. If you're going to change the offense, and we know you're going to have to rely on the run game, especially now, if this was an indication, if this game was an indication, we know how important that run game is going to be now, then you definitely needed to showcase that you could start busting some big runs. Malik Davis, he at the forefront of that. Like, now, don't get me wrong. He was the... The, the run game last year, we, we, we talked ad nauseum about that, but he was still, quote, unquote, the most explosive runner last year. Not that, that there were many, but he had three runs, while I think Pearson Wright only had one run over 20 yards. Uh, so with this, much credit. you got to give it to the offensive line as well. 
particularly the right side. We can go look at the right side. I posted some images on pictures uh, on Twitter this morning. One of the Kamoy Gamble block, of course, on AR's long 73-yard touchdown run. But Damian Pierce, his second touchdown run, uh, the right side of the offensive line, helps bring that after Pierce makes a blitzing linebacker miss uh, there. So good, I, I thought, really good uh, look at uh, the, the explosive potential of this running game here. Rushing game stats, 46 attempts between the running backs and quarterbacks for 400 yards. A record gained in a season opener, 8.7 yards per rush for this Gator offense. Um, here we go. Uh, uh, Anthony Richardson, his 73-yard scamper is the longest of the night, but at the running back position with explosives of 31, 17, and 21 from Malik Davis. Uh, as a team, Florida had 13 rushes that were 10 or more yards for 292 yards as a team. Go back to that one more time. Florida had 13 rushes that were 10 or more yards for 292 yards. That's the chunk yardage I'm talking about with this run game. Uh, kudos to the offensive line, like I said, for also not giving up a sack in 35 attempts. Quarterbacks did some nice that there's some of the rushing yards came from the quarterbacks escaping the pressure uh, as well on the on call pass plays. The 400 rushing yards was also the most under Mullen at Florida and most since Kentucky in 2011. So there we go. Um, Gene Delance, you know, <laughs> he's been targeted there, uh, rightfully so, with some of the, uh, you know, the, the uh, criticism from his play. We said, let's look, let's wait and see what happens in this more run approach. Now, it's only one game, only FAU. I'm not saying a question was answered, but if there was a time we actually needed to see it, like if it would have been bad, then, okay, we can go ahead and probably say it would have continued to what we have seen before. But now we got at least one data point for this year, and they look good. The offensive line passed the test. They're changing the offense. They're changing the scheme. You know, the scheme is going to change just a bit. Um, and there we go. We get the um, explosive runs we, and, and led by the offensive line a good bit too. So, all right, when you guys uh, definitely donate, I'll get the, the question in here. What do you think happened in that fourth and goal turnover on downs? Strange play call or mistake by Emory. That's from Funky Fudge. 11 there. Uh, so Mullen told us after the game, I don't think Mullen knew this at the time. Uh, and you could tell when he, when, when Emory's coming off the sideline, he's like, expletive but what you know what was that and um it was a miscommunication dan said like emory got the wrong play in off of the sideline uh so it sounds like it could even been a staff issue uh, of getting the wrong play in i think he, you know mullen kind of hinted that maybe emory probably should have realized that was not uh, the play they needed to be in and maybe call the timeout and, and discuss it but it doesn't seem like that was a call by emory to run that play so that's that. That's how I took it. That's, I think that's basically how Mullen took that. Um, you know how Mullen was explaining that. Uh, but uh, yeah, that was uh, the, the miscommunication coming from the sideline was basically the the uh, the mixed signals. There we go. That was the that was the word uh, that was used. So uh, you know, uh, Mullen said it, Mullen saying that Emory should have been able to you know basically kind of realize that. Let me know he trusting there. Uh, to to make that, but uh, you know maybe Emory should have seen the issue, called the timeout, um, and you know that's maybe that's and that was well after the interception, uh, yeah, and Florida's going would would have been could have been their fourth touchdown in the game, but 
could have made it 21 nothing in that uh, regard. Uh, but, you know, where was Emory's head that during that time? That was after the interception, of course. And uh, it's, Emory said, you got to kind of just move on to the next play. And where he was at in that game at that time, uh, just move on, keep going. Uh, but that play in particular, Mullen says uh, maybe a timeout should have been called and can discuss it going from there. And um, not, I mean, yeah, you go under, first you go under center. And it was back at like what the four yard line, uh, I believe. So that was something else I noticed. So, you know, kind of going to that point, uh, Florida was under center uh, a good bit when they were in those goal line situations. Uh, something that's you know not totally surprised, but you expect to see more of Mullen quarterbacks uh, in the shotgun. Uh, but I did notice the quarterbacks under center for some of these power plays out there uh, for, for for the Gators in goal line situations. All right, man, some good stuff here, but more rushing numbers. And what they did in the running game coming up. But before we get there, winning season returns at mybookie.ag, and it's time to get in on the action. First-time players can get started by doubling your first deposit, giving you the firepower to add excitement to the games you love. College football odd boost, NFL lock of the season, and over $500,000 in contest prizes live on site to make this winning season your best ever with mybookie. With a historic 18-week NFL schedule offering more action than ever before, you need a sportsbook casino that's reliable, and you won't find a better place to play this season than MyBookie. You know you're going to bet this season, so the smart thing to do is sign up with MyBookie, use our promo code Gators to get your first ever deposit matched dollar for dollar. That's extra money credited to your account instantly for just using promo code Gators and making your first deposit. Bet anything, anywhere, anytime. With my bookie. All right, guys, let's go to more of the overall rushing stats for these Gator team. Over four, I mean, 400 yards for the game. We knew it was going to be the focus. They expounded on that for 400 yards uh, this game. Quarterback Anthony Richardson, 160 yards on seven carries. And running back Malik Davis, 104 yards on 14 carries. Both rushed for over 100 yards in the win. Marks the second time in program history the Gators have had two 100-yard rushers with one of the two being a quarterback. The only prior instance was the 08 National Championship game versus Oklahoma, where Percy Harvin saw 122 yards, Tim Tebow 109. So there you go. Two players, one being the quarterback, going over over 100 yards. Last time that happened, National Championship game versus Oklahoma. Gators had multiple 100-yard rushers for the first time since 18. South Carolina game when Jordan Scarlett with 159 and LaMichael P. Ryan with 107 yards. Both ran for over 100 yards. Richardson became the first Florida quarterback to rush for 100 yards since Jeff Driscoll ran for 177 yards in 2012 at Vanderbilt. And Florida's 8.7 yards per carry versus FAU. Team highest mark in a single game since averaging 9.3 yards per carry against Vanderbilt in 2012 as well. So there you go, rushing stats, yards per carry, total yards, running back, uh, quarterback combo, two players running for over 100 yards. There you go. That's how you dissect this Gator run game. And uh, hopefully we see more of it. Hopefully it's something that, um, you know, if these quarterbacks are going to struggle passing the ball, something they can fall back on and rely on uh, to still carry the offense while the progression in the passing game comes along. Don't get me wrong, you know, week three, you need all you need all of it to be there. Uh, but as the season progresses, the run game is going to have to be there probably game in and game out. 
All right, wide receiver numbers, probably not what we expected. Much of it due to the, I think, you know, a lot of the off-target throws. But, you know, Whittemore certainly could have had more catches. The tight ends weren't targeted much at all. Uh, they blocked well in the run game, but didn't get too much involved in the passing game. And wide receiver stats, you know, only 20 passes were caught on 35 attempts as Rick Wells and Damian Pierce led the way with five catches each. Shorter with, uh, with four, but only 11 yards to go with that. Uh, so not making anything happen after the catch. Like I said, a lot of those were some of the low throws, off-target throws to where he really couldn't make anything happen. He had to worry more about catching the ball <laughs> and uh, uh, then maybe trying to make a play after the catch. Uh, there, Copeland, right, with one catch apiece as well. Uh, just didn't, you know, didn't go that deep here, especially with the tight ends, not catching balls either. Uh, so wide receivers, you know, with that struggling in the passing game, not the, the numbers, uh, at least maybe some of the numbers we, I mean, we didn't, I don't, I'm not sure we all expected 40, 40 receptions, uh, in, in this game, but only 20, uh, and then who caught those, um, Maybe surprising people as well. You did have targets there. Like I said, Whittemore over the middle. Some of those throws were behind. Some of those throws were low. He probably at least could have had two more catches uh, there for Whittemore over the middle uh, there. So um, the blocking, you know, the rushing, a lot of those explosives don't happen without the wide receivers blocking as well. So another aspect to get on the field for Dan Mullen and these wide receivers. Uh, so they, they helped open and spring up some of those long, big runs uh, as well. But, uh, you know, good to see Weston get involved and, and get some catches. Good for Wick Wells, too, a guy who's stuck around the super senior for the team, getting his first career touchdown. Uh, he made himself, uh, you know, really uh, a target out there uh, for, for these quarterbacks leading the way uh, with five catches. So good for him leading the team here after the time that he's had for this uh, in this program and getting his first career touchdown. Defense. Here we go. Other side of the ball. Um, probably besides quarterback, the second most popular storyline we were probably looking at going into this game and what they were going to do as a whole. Inconsistent uh, to me, maybe can be attributed to rotating a good bit of players in there. You know, but let's start with the basic aspect of what we all wanted to see. And that was just lining up, lining up right, all the communication. Uh, that goes in there. We didn't see the huge gaffes there in uh, communication. Uh, and definitely we needed to see that after last season. And, you know, something uh, it's just uh, something we needed to see. We didn't see the huge gaff where somebody was left wide open on a miscommunication in the secondary. The guys were lined up, ready to go. You didn't see hands in the air. You didn't see a whole lot of hollering across the field of what am I supposed to do? What are you supposed to do? At least, at least we got that. We got the, <laughs> the, Number one point for me, anyway, going and looking at this Gator defense, they got one of the basics out of the way. I thought tackling was okay uh, for, for the game as well. Uh, some angles early um, were, were probably wrong and, and led to some more missed tackles than probably should have been. But I thought once the, the guys were in position to make the tackles, they actually made them uh, as well. So overall, I thought the tackling was was, was okay uh, as well. The, the, the angles played a part in, in, in some of the missed tackles that, that Florida was having. So, but uh, something else that's just a staple of a Todd Grantham defense, and I can't imagine where this defense would be uh, in Todd Grantham's career, and maybe even yesterday too, without the sacks uh, for, for the Gators. Six sacks on the night, eight quarterback hurries. The early strip sack by Zachary Carter was nice to see after last season, uh, as well as you know the snack. The, the, the sacks happened last season, but this didn't lead to many turnovers. First big sack of the game, and boom, strip sack, Gators recover uh, and in, in business. 
But you know, Zachary Carter, after the game, talking to the media, said two things here I really like. First, he said he's been working on stripping the ball, and we saw that pay dividend right away. Game one, hey, this is something I'm working on. I have an opportunity. I hit the quarterback. Ball goes. Driven, driven Dexter picks it up. Gators ball. But um, you, you, you love – you love hearing stuff like that. Things are working on things that that, that, that actually show up. Uh, but he also stated, and he read the offensive tackles stance on that play and knew it was going to be a pass. So he was able to fly off the snap. And, and I love hearing that from Carter, not only for, for him, but go back to the preseason when players like Dexter were mentioning those types of details uh, are is something they want to learn, something they need to improve on in, in, in aspects of their game. So, um, and he said he was looking at Zachary Carter as a player that he that he looked to in helping with this aspect of his game. So you know, hopefully Dexter can can take that same learning moment, apply it to, to, to his career growth. Because you know it's uh it, it, there's the little things. The coaching staff mentioned it as well. It's the little things when you play positions that will make you better, that will make you take that next step. The little thing like okay. I can see how this offensive tackle standing. It's going to be a pass play. I'm going to go hit the quarterback. You know, it was those things, keys that you look for. And they were mentioning that with Dexter as well, of like how to read offensive linemen and how to read the running back's feet and stuff dating back to the preseason. Well, there you go. Now you can learn from somebody like Zachary Carter, who <laughs> has has proven right now in game one of this season, all right, there are some keys that I picked up on that helped me in my game. So uh, also shout out to Dexter for being – Turnover magnet and recovering two fumbles in the game. Zach Carter set a career high with three sacks last time that happened. Jonathan Grenard in 2019 versus Florida State. And man, did you see the guy that the speed Chris Bogle flashed on his sack in the backfield in a hurry? Hopefully, giving the Gators another playmaker at that buck rush in position. I mean, he just flew off the ball as well, getting back there, hitting the quarterback. 25 defenders had a tackle in this game. So that was led by last year's tackling leader, Ventrell Miller, with seven tackles. Good to see uh, young safety Mordecai McDaniel get six stops in the game as well. But Florida played a whole lot of guys last night. They rotated them in and out. That probably led to some of the inconsistency. I thought they were playing a little slow to begin with uh, at the beginning of the game. I think they have the, the speed and talent, but maybe a little tentative uh, to, to start the game uh, yesterday. Now, let's get into <laughs> – I talked about we saw the communication. We saw that part of the, the, the defense improve, not the huge gaps of low, leaving wide receivers wide open down the field for easy scores. But for whatever reason, we get this again. We still see the cushion coverage on third down attempts uh, and third down attempts by the Florida Atlantic offense. And just not sure why that's still an issue for this Gator defense of the, the cushion coverage playing off of the receivers. Players backing off right before the snap, giving cushion yards of cushion, you know, only for their guy or or another underneath route by a running back to to easily cross the first down marker. It has been I don't remember that being an issue so much at eighteen and nineteen. What changed in twenty twenty to where they want these DBs to play so far off? Now maybe we didn't realize it so much, and they actually did. And those guys come up and made the tackles before uh, the 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 uh, offensive player cross uh, the first down marker. I just don't I, I don't remember it in this fashion this way so uh, you know with that you know FAU kept Florida's offense on the sideline uh, and Florida their scoring drives were pretty long too early in the game in the first half of this off in the first half the offense for the Gators didn't have many real drives in the first half only four 
Defense only forced one three and out all night uh, versus FAU. And in the first half for Florida Atlantic, their first four drives, 10 plays for seven, 30, 10 plays for 37 yards, six plays for 26 yards, 10 plays for 33 yards, 11 for 57. They had 15 minutes and 32 seconds time of possession in the first half on offense for offense that wasn't that great last year. And they could not get their offense back on the field. If Florida just let FAU out there run play after play, they didn't get a whole lot of yards, you know, 10 plays for 37 yards, six for 26, 10 for 33, 11 for 57, but 10 plays, six plays, 10 plays, 11 plays, they were converting third downs uh, there against this, uh, against this Gator defense. So it was mostly in the first half, you know, and look, they brought in the Kosey Perry to fix that offense to be better than it was last year. But I still think too much on the time, still too much time on the field for that FAU offense. I understand it's about points. They were keeping them out of the end zone for the skater defense. So I'll give them kudos there. You, you you did your main job of eventually getting them off the field and uh, and uh, not letting them score any points there. You had a little bit of help, some overthrows, uh, some turnovers, of course, as well. Uh, but you know, it's it's about the points. Defense held their held their own there, but you know, it's still a little more consistency in the defense there. Four of seven on third down in the first half of the Owls. They ended the game five of twelve, so it did get better. But four of seven on third down in the first half. Uh, you know, Florida, like I said, they had their chances anyway on offense to go up twenty-eight nothing. But even could have had the ball even more in the first half if the defense could have did their job on third down. Overall, the Owls ran seventy plays in the game, twenty-three first downs. Too much, too much. There should have never been able to run seventy plays in this Cater defense. 23 first downs. It kind of goes to another point. They just were on the field. They were on the field a lot. Kept uh, the Gator offense on the sideline there. So another thing about this cushion and, and and that part of the defense, Mullen said after the game, they knew Perry was going to get rid of the ball quick. Okay. So why isn't the coverage tighter? <laughs> this is something that, you know, bugged this defense last year. You know, why wasn't the, the coverage tighter with the way Florida was successfully rushing the passer pretty much all night? Perry had to get rid of the ball. So if he has to get rid of the ball, tighten the coverage up, let the defender make a tackle or, or, or play on the ball. Let him be around the ball with that with that pressure that's coming from the front. Uh, you know, Also, just a, a better chance for turnovers. But but playing off, uh, knowing the quarterback's under duress, that makes little sense to me. Uh, so I, I think if you, if you could get that pressure, whether it's four or five players bringing it, tighten that coverage a little bit. Tighten that coverage up a little bit. You made it too easy there for him just to get rid of the ball uh, with the with the coverage being off, even if he didn't have a whole lot of time, he knew where he wanted to go with the ball. They could make the, uh, something happen after the catch because the DBs were nowhere near him when they make the catch. He had to get rid of the ball early, put some tighter coverage on these guys, and there you go. You probably probably get the get the offense off the field. Uh, let's see here. Uh, FAU averaged 13.7 yards per pass compared to Florida 7.7, a whole six yards more for FAU and per pass. They also averaged five yards per carry uh, there. If you take out the quarterback sacks, uh, Mullen mentioned the inconsistency there, saying it felt like a, a run for FAU either went for no yards or for 10 yards. And that's exactly what that stat says <laughs> there for the for the FAU uh, for the FAU team. So I did want to see more consistency, more domination from the defensive line uh, in, in rush defense. A lot of moving pieces there that I think they'll eventually settle into. I think that had to, had a little bit to do with the consistency there for this Gator defensive front, if not uh, 
you know, kind of forcing their will. I thought it would be a little better. Uh, I'm not going to lie, but maybe, hopefully, rotation played a part. And then, then they settle. As the season progresses, they settle on the guys they want out there the most. But they're, they're deep. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you want a lot of those guys out there. You, Valentino, Newkirk, Dexter, all show flashes uh, there. You know, hopefully you get some of those guys healthy behind those guys as well. Uh, but uh, even Truesdale out there, uh, one of his early plays out there made his felt, presence felt with a tackle. So, you know, Florida is deep there. Uh, Got to get and it can get even deeper with getting some some of the younger guys back. But how how much do they need to settle on? You know, the first two three guys there and, and keep those guys in there to try and make some plays. A lot of moving pieces. A lot of moving pieces there. I understand. Uh, and we, we, we Florida needed this depth mostly because of, of injuries. Uh, of course, if something happens, you have somebody else to turn to. Uh, and look, this staff is very big on turnover. This staff is very big on rotating and getting different guys in there. We've seen that running back, of course, and a good but Bowen and Ringar were getting early carries. Uh, but the same thing here at defensive tackle, they got a lot of options uh, there, and you probably could go drive for drive and have de- different defensive tackles out there. Those guys would be fresh in the fourth quarter, but does it mess with their mindset and consistency? Uh, I think it was something the staff will kind of have to monitor uh, throughout there. So even though third down got better in the second half for this Florida defense, uh, rotating uh, more players, not only up front, but uh, all along with, with some of the starters, some of the starters still out there too. Uh, there was definitely a drop in production. We saw Travis Johnson get beat for a deep ball. Uh, but, you know, that that's going to happen. I'm not expecting you to, get, to go shut those guys out. And that really wasn't my issue with some of the younger players out there. I was more disappointed in the penalties uh, and that that came along with it. Bad, you put some secondary guys in there or, you know, some uh, – you know, secondary depth pieces uh, there, guys that are second string and third string. Of, uh, of course, if the other teams playing their starters like FAU uh, a lot was. I understand players plays are going to happen, but a lot of those plays were extended because of – a lot of those drives were extended because of the penalties and these young players and the penalties that, that kept popping up uh, there for this Gator defense. More disappointed there. Uh, plays will happen, but, uh, you know, without those – Without those penalties, you may get the stop anyway. Uh, penalty yards added up. You had the personal foul, Jadarius Perkins and Mordecai McDaniel, and then a roughing the passer on the third and 16 from Antoine Powell. You know, those penalty, penalties helped contribute to scoring drives for FAU. Uh, so it, it wasn't just the defense. Florida committed nine penalties on the night. Way too many. Way too many penalties. Uh, but it was the major ones late uh, that were kind of a lack of concentration for some of the younger players and leading to uh, the touchdowns for FAU, getting rid of the shutout Florida had going into the fourth quarter um, for, 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 for the skater defense. So up and down performance. I like what I saw up front, mostly consistency. Just want to see a little bit more of that. The pass rush was there. Perry was getting abused uh, a bit all night. And like I said, with that pressure, just bring, bring, bring these DBs up. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe we'll get a chance to talk to him about that this week uh, as well if uh, – you know, they'll go into detail about why they do that so much on the defensive side of the ball. But good things on defense. Florida's 10 points allows the team's second fewest total in a game dating back to November of 2019. Uh, the Gators allowed fewer points just once last season when they beat Kentucky after ranking tied for eighth in FBS and second in the SEC with 34 sacks last year. The Gators start the season with six. So, like I said, no. We can say a whole lot of things about this defense. Sacks is not probably going to be an issue whatsoever. Uh, they tied a team high from last year with six sacks. It's just the, can you get more turnovers off the sacks? And on the big third downs in games, can you get the sack? That That's my question now. The pressure itself overall throughout a season will never be a problem under Todd Mantham. But can it be 
there in the magical moments of a game. That's what we're going to have to start looking out for for these big sacks in this Gator defense. Uh, let's see. Florida's 126 sacks since Dan Mullen's debut in 2018. So since Dan Mullen was hired, ranks first in the SEC and third nationally. Trailing only Clemson with 148 and Pittsburgh with 134. So two ACC teams there uh, with a lot of sacks <laughs> there since 2018. But the Gators are third in that department since Mullen was hired. Todd Grantham comes in uh, and pressures the quarterback. So no surprise there. Uh, but as I said, let's go see it in bigger moments uh, of the season. So, man, a lot to get into there uh, with that game. Is a lot of, it was, like I said, a lot of fun being there. Good seeing football uh, in that atmosphere. Good seeing football in general. Uh, it was uh, another game didn't go the way we wanted it to, and hopefully versus USF is much better. Uh, I know it probably won't put a whole lot of confidence in people's minds uh, as far as Bama coming up the next week. But uh, next week when we have a show on next Sunday, it's going to be a whole lot better for talking about a lot of good things heading into that week instead of another struggle. So hopefully the team comes together, rallies together, gets some of these issues fixed. You know, it wasn't an overall bad game. I maybe focused on too much of the bad here in this episode just because I think the expectations come into play too of what we expected to see from Florida and FAU. We said some good things, the 400 rushing yards and the explosive runs uh, there. Some of the some of the receivers who haven't been involved in games uh, getting involved in this game. A good, good point there. Uh, and the defense, we just went through everything for those guys uh, and some of the good that they did. So just now, the old cliché, you get better from game one to game two, and hopefully that spreads across the whole program uh, going against USF just coming up with a USF team that went 45 to nothing when they got beat by NC State. So, you know, this team doesn't look like uh, – now there should be much of an issue for the Gators. So, Gators hopefully rally together, come back up, uh, get a better week of practice, uh, and go to Tampa and put it on USF. And next Sunday we're talking about a whole lot of points scored – talking about two quarterbacks looking good and talking about a more consistent defense when Florida and USF uh, will call a final hopefully next week. And we'll have it right here on Gators Breakdown. So, all right, let's take a before – uh, before, before we get off here, we'll just look back at this uh, week one for the Gators. Let's take a look at week one for all the SEC teams. And go back to Thursday night. It was Tennessee Bowling Green. 38-6, Tennessee win. They jumped off to uh, a big lead, a whole lot of tempo, and then couldn't do much after that. Uh, and, you know, Milton uh, at quarterback, uh, another storyline to look out for, similar to how many people are going to be looking at Emory Jones, uh, Joe Milton, a, a good start, and then settled down uh, just a little bit. Kentucky in their new look offense scores 45 points in beating Louisiana Monroe 45-10. to Arkansas win 38-17 to over Rice. One of the bigger games for this Saturday was Alabama and Miami. Alabama puts it on Miami. was never even a question for me <laughs> for that. Alabama 44, Miami 13. Alabama loses a lot. They just reload. They still humming along. Ton of new players. Ton of new coaching staff. Doesn't matter. <laughs> they roll five-star after five-star out there and keep that ball rolling. Mississippi State with a crazy comeback if you missed that. 35-34 uh, over Louisiana Tech. I think they were down 20 in the fourth quarter and come storming back uh, to take a, a victory over Louisiana Tech. 35-34 for Mississippi State. 
Missouri, Central Michigan, 34-24, Missouri over Central Michigan. Old Jim McElwain's team, Jim McElwain was not coaching in that game. I believe he had a, a surgery, they said, so he was not at the game uh, when Missouri beat Central Michigan, 34-24. Auburn, Brian Harson comes in from Boise State, puts up 60 in his debut over Akron, 60-10. to The Tigers beat Akron. South Carolina, 46 to nothing over Eastern Illinois. In the game of the week, it was on the same time as the Florida game. No offensive touchdown scored as Georgia defeats Clemson 10 to 3. Georgia, the only touchdown in the game was a pick six for Georgia as they beat Clemson. Probably look for them to be the number two team in the country next week. So to be Alabama number one, Georgia number two. Uh, Florida has to play both of those teams this year. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, that probably would be what the poll looks like uh, when it comes out this week. But 10-3 to 3 in the big game of the week, uh, Georgia over Clemson. JT Daniels, so, so bad decision uh, interception uh, there. That put Clemson you know, closer into the game. Georgia's defensive front, guys, whew, they are good. They are good. They harassed Clemson's front all night, harassed DJ all night. Uh, that defensive front's a force there for the Bulldogs. Uh, so look for that as the season progresses. Kent State 41 to nothing. Or Kent State loses to Texas A&M 41 to 10. It's a close game at halftime, and then Texas A&M storms in the second half uh, to, to put that game away. 41 to 10 for the Aggies over Kent State. Vanderbilt not off to a good start in the Clark Lee era. 23 to 3 lost it. ETSU, I believe that's Eastern Tennessee. Uh, State there, woo, 23 to 3. You get beat by 20 points right there. Not a good look there for Clark Lee and his start. A lot of change going on there at Vanderbilt, but, ooh, man, that's a, that's a tough one. And then SEC goes down to a Pac 12 team. UCLA defeats LSU 38 to 27. Didn't get to see much of that game. Uh, honestly, I know it was uh, UCLA jumped off to a lead. LSU climbed back, and then UCLA put that game away in the fourth quarter. Uh, but, man, after the 2020, bouncing back from that 2019 National Championship season, uh, I'm sure Tiger fans are pretty restless after what they uh, had to see from their team last year. They did, of course, end the season well by beating Florida and Ole Miss the last two weeks of the season, but then opened up the very next season, 2021, with a loss to UCLA. The team dealt with a lot, of course. LSU had to go to had to go to Houston and practice after the hur- after the hurricane uh, ravaged Louisiana. So the team was dealing with a lot, probably mentally as well, uh, but not a good look there for the Tigers as they lose to UCLA 38-27. to And then Monday night, Ole Miss and Louisville, Lane Kiffin will not be coaching Ole Miss in person. Uh, he has COVID and not making the trip to Atlanta as the Rebels take on the Cardinals. So, all right, that would do it. As a take a look back to the FAU game for the Gators, the win for the Gators there, and a look back at the SEC and what happened around the SEC. FSU, if you guys are uh, watching on this Sunday live or you know catching this Sunday live, don't forget FSU Notre Dame play Sunday night. Uh, so another game to uh, well, as we can watch our rivals and uh, Notre Dame uh, uh, playoff team last year. So interested to see where both those programs are heading into this game. So, all right, that'll do it for this episode of Gators Breakdown. Everybody, thanks for joining us on this first review of the season. I'm your host of the podcast, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.